The trays are being passed. I want to just introduce uh, Don McLaughlin to you. Um, Don preaches in Atlanta, and I've, I knew I wanted to bring him in when I decided to do a five-week series on love. How many of you have heard Don McLaughlin speak at some event in the past? All right, a lot of you. I first heard Don in 1999. I was a senior in high school. Does that make you feel old? Uh, and <laughs> was just drawn to your heart, your ministry, how you talk about Jesus. Uh, so six months ago or so, I knew I wanted to do a five-week series on love after Easter, but it was only two months ago. I was sitting there, and I was like, my goodness, Don McLaughlin, a good friend of mine, just wrote a book not too long ago, last year, on love. It's called Love First. Uh, it's called Love First, Ending Hate Before It's Too Late, a fantastic book. I've read it. I've devoured it. And I called him up two months ago, and I said, Don, I know your speaking schedule is crazy, but is there any chance I can get you to Memphis in April? And he responded and said, April 15th, that week, the week before I'm in Colorado, but I can fly in. And he flew in last night, Ubered to my house late at night. And Don, I'm so just thrilled that Sycamore View gets to hear from you today. Don has been married 35 years. And I sat down with Don and his wife at Pepperdine a few years ago. And Casey and I are not afraid to sit with people we greatly admire and grill them with questions. And we sat over some lunch in Malibu. And I was asking him about what's the hardest year in your marriage? I was asking Susan, his wife, what was the year where ministry was so hard it caused stress and tension and the way they just received questions and blessed me? Don, you've been a great friend. You did not just write a book sitting behind a desk. You wrote a book that you live out every day of your life. Don's been preaching for 21 years. He's been in ministry now for over 30 years. He's been preaching at the North Atlanta Church of Christ in Atlanta for 21. Don, we're so glad to have you here. You're a friend. You're a brother. So can we give Don a nice Memphis <laughs> welcome today? I love you, man. Thank you. Wow. Well, it is exciting to be here. I'm happy to be with you. And uh, I have a lot of friends here in, uh, in this church and in Memphis. And I thank you for taking the time today to consider uh, these things. Um, I want to start this morning by asking you, what do you believe? Now, I'll give you an example. Do you believe you can breathe underwater? You say, oh, of course, man, if I had the right scuba gear. I didn't mention scuba gear. I didn't even say a snorkel. Well, that changes things. Well, of course it does, because that's what beliefs are like. Beliefs function in real life. So if you're a trained scuba driver, maybe an instructor, you're like, well, I breathed underwater with scuba gear. My wife and I hadn't been married very long, and we were driving across country, and we were driving across a narrow canyon bridge in Colorado. Now, bear in mind, we hadn't been married very long, and she said, you're too close to the edge. I'm too close to the edge. You want to see close to the edge, right? But see, we hadn't been married very long, and I wasn't interested in having the human version of Siri telling me how to drive my car. But this was a long bridge. Don, you're too close to the edge. I can tell she is really afraid. I said to her, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of heights or drowning? She said, I'm afraid of your driving. <laughs> but see, we know for some reason, whether it's instinct, whether it's you choking on, on a, a bottle of milk when you were a kid, 
It doesn't take us long to figure out that, man, you know, believing that I can't breathe underwater is really important. I really ought to make sure I nail that down. I need to understand that if I fall from too high up, I... I'm not going to make it. I need to understand that. And there are things in life that experience teach us, other people teach us, and sometimes those come together because maybe it was your mom that was afraid of you being in the deep end of the pool because she didn't know if you knew yet that you couldn't breathe underwater. But now what if you were in a pool as a teenager and someone held you underwater. Now what starts happening when that bigger kid, that friend of yours, holds you underwater? What goes on in your system? What's clicking through your brain? What's pulsing through your veins? I, I don't believe I can breathe underwater. I'm going to be tested. My faith is being tested. Lord God, help me, sustain me through this moment of testing. No, one of you is going to die, and it's not going to be you. You're coming up out of that water. Everything in you fights for your belief, because beliefs function that way. We don't talk a lot about creeds in particular churches across America because some are pro-creed and some aren't. The word creed comes from the Latin word credo, which just means I believe. So part of my creed is I believe I can't breathe underwater. And I live by that creed. There's a creed in Scripture that goes like this. You'll find it in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. We love because he first loved us. I've got several shirts, and right here on the front of it, it says, love first. So I was in Minneapolis, and any of you that have flown much or traveled much, that is the most hipster airport in the U.S. They have more iPads than Silicon Valley up there, so, and skinny jeans. So I'm going through the airport of Minneapolis, and I'm standing there in line to get on the plane, and it's late at night. And also, those of you that travel a little bit, you haven't seen vultures until you've seen the premium line at a Delta Sky, or, or in a Delta Sky. Club Lounge there. So everybody's waiting, getting in line. They're going to want to get on the plane first. This guy's staring at my shirt. And finally he looks over at me and he says, what's love first? Some kind of hippie commune? I said, a hippie commune? I said, it doesn't say love fest. It says love first. <laughs> but then I started thinking, what am I going to say? Just like earlier, we were being challenged. What are you going to do, not just in here, but what are you going to do out there? So I started thinking. I went in, I sat down on my seat. Well, what do I think love first means? So I started thinking about this, and every time I get on a plane now, I'm wearing that shirt. I will say to someone, they say, well, what's love first? I'll say, it's how I want to live. I want it to be my creed for when I walk into a building like this, when I walk around in a building like this, when I walk out of a building like this, when I go into a garage, when I walk around in a garage and want to walk out of a garage, when I go to Hope Works, when I walk around Hope Works, when I walk out of Hope Works, when I go to the ballpark, I walk around the ballpark and I walk out of the ballpark, I want to live this way. And I want to show the world that I believe that I've been loved in such a way that I'm set free from all of the things that would make me hate 
that I'm liberated to love the way that I have been loved. But our beliefs sometimes clash with each other. Have you noticed that? I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and he was sharing about how uh, he's grown up in Atlanta his whole life. He's in his 70s. And I was hosting a racial reconciliation conversation at our church, and he came up to me, and he made this comment. He said, I can remember when I was sitting in a men's business meeting, and they, that meant black people, were considering coming to our church, and we were considering whether we'd let them. I went to speak with an eldership in Birmingham, and they're talking about their church becoming a place of racial healing. And an elder there, 80 years old, stood up among the rest of his elders, and I was present, and he said, I want to clarify something. This isn't just about making things right for the future. As a young elder, I voted to keep black people out of this church. It's not just about the future. I'm trying to make things right that I made wrong. So whether you're 80 years old, whether you're 70 years old, whether you're 50 years old, whether you're 40 or whether you're a teenager, at the end of the day, we can go to church and hear God loves everybody, and then we can go sit in a church business meeting and decide who we're going to love or not. Because that's how beliefs are. They conflict with one another. We can preach. We can say, well, you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25? That, you know, that God's this judgment scene and left and the right and the goats and the sheep and the people that served the Lord, the people that didn't serve the Lord. Inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Amen, said the church. And then we walk out and we walk by a person who's poor and we assume that they're lazy. And oh, that's what their kind are like. And Jesus says, I'd love to hear about me in as much as you say it about the least of these, you say it about me. Tell me about me being lazy. Tell me what my kind are like. See, this is what beliefs do. Sometimes beliefs function in such a way that we have to compartmentalize them. We can't let them really all come to the table at once because it looks like they'll get in a big fight. So Jesus said, well, maybe you need to pick one And put it first. So, early on they published a gospel tract. You may know it. It's called the Apostles' Creed. We'll put it up on the screen. The Apostles' Creed. How many of you are somewhat familiar with this? A little bit familiar. Some are, some aren't, right? Well, let's get the essentials, right? The essentials are, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Spirit. He didn't get much press back then. I believe in the church. I believe in forgiveness, salvation. I believe in life everlasting. Now, as you look at the screen, how many of you think, well, I believe all of that? Raise your hand. You got to shake your head yes, no, or maybe it'll go faster. Okay. So, we believe these things. What do we say? I believe in God. Josh, what about you? You believe in Jesus? Yes, Kip, you got the Spirit? How many believe in the church, right? I believe. Okay. I noticed something about this creed that I thought was interesting. They were trying to summarize what they would tell everyone they met. This is the oldest written Christian creed. It was the first gospel tract. 
They didn't have a Bible to give to someone. They didn't have artwork yet. They didn't have tapestries. They didn't have these amazing works of sculpture that tell the story of the gospel. They just had a few words, a few lines, and they went and told the entire world this message. But as we went through the centuries, people began to think that maybe creeds weren't all that helpful. So in the restoration and revivalist movement of the 17th, 18th, and 19th century Europe and America, we came up with this, no creed but Christ. How many of you grew up going to a church of Christ? Raise your hand high if you grew up going to a church of Christ. How many of you did not grow up going to a church of Christ? Okay, that's my wife and I. I didn't grow up going to a church of Christ. She is five generations in church of Christ. The guy that baptized Alexander Campbell baptized her great-great-great-great-grandfather. You marry someone like that, the head office sends you a little certificate. You know, you don't mess this one up, right? <laughs> so the funny thing about the creeds, though, is whether they're written or unwritten makes absolutely no difference in how they stick. Because you can have a written creed and people can quote it. And my friends that grew up in churches that quoted the Apostles' Creed can quote it in their sleep. They can quote it under an anesthetic. But so can we. Put your hand up. Come on. Just like this. It ain't that tough. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. See, we can do it too. And if you read your history, that wasn't the original five-finger exercise. I'll leave you to go figure what that was. The Spirit was in the first one. Okay, Luke chapter 10, Jesus is going to walk us through the creed. So on one occasion, an expert in the law, those of you that are lawyers, you know this guy. He's not just an attorney, he's a jurist. This is a guy who knows how to interpret the law. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, teacher. Yes. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this boy's got a good question, so he's going to get a good answer. But notice that he roots the answer he expects in the law. What is written in the law, Jesus replied? How do you read it? So the man quoted two verses as if they're one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you're interested in where he got this from, it's Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus 19, 18, the, the neighbor love mandate. 200 years before Jesus, rabbis had written that these are actually one command. They had brought them into one, and they said that this is all the Torah, everything else is commentary. So this guy's quoting what he learned in Saturday school his whole life. It wasn't Sunday school, he was Jewish. He learned this in Saturday school his whole life. Luke chapter 10 and verse 28. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Those of you that are doctors or have had surgery, you'll know the word orthos. Orthos is the word which means straight. Or to, to the, this is where we get our word orthodoxy. Jesus said, you've answered with orthodoxy. Do this and you'll live. That should be the end of the conversation. But the boy didn't really want to love his neighbor, so he wanted to justify himself instead. Our wants are interesting, aren't they? He wanted a biblical answer and a worldly result. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? So in reply, 
Jesus said, let me tell you one of my two most famous stories. I've got two really big ones, the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son. Which one do you want today? You're getting the Good Samaritan. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. That's actually in the Greek. I wonder if it had a meter like on his head. You're half dead. You're two-thirds. You're a third dead. I'm not sure how you get that. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. That was unexpected. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place where he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine on his wounds. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, took care of him. The next day, that's because he stayed the night, stayed the night and took care of the guy. The next day, took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper and said, listen, you've been watching how I took care of this fellow all night. Now I want you to take care of him the same way I took care of him. And if it costs you anything, I'll come back by and I'll pay you back. Which of these two or three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, well, then go and do likewise. Now, real quickly, who is the only character in the story that's mentioned in every verse? The victim. Yeah. Jesus isn't asking the lawyer to see himself in the Samaritan. He's asking the lawyer to see himself in the ditch. Because he understands that this lawyer's beliefs are wrestling with each other. I want to believe what God said, but I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I believe God is right, but I believe that I've got circumstances where I've got to make the call. I believe in him, but I believe in me. And there's times where I think that God is too far outside of my circumstances to be right about it. So he's got to have me to make a call in a moment that God doesn't really understand. So Jesus says, I'm not even going to work with you as if you're the Samaritan. I'm going to put you in a ditch, and that's easier. It brings clarity. The ditch brings clarity. Who's my neighbor? Well, I imagined it was the guy that taught me in Saturday school that you ought to love everyone. Well, how neighborly was he? Well, I was bleeding out in the ditch, and I think in the amount of time it took to walk by me, I went from half dead to about a third. But then a Levite came by. That was really weird. Because I'd read about them my whole life. Those people had sanctuary cities. They didn't even get land in Israel. They got 40 cities of refuge. I'd known the legend of the Levites. The place where people could go and find refuge. My heart sunk when he walked by. And then who came? God. God 
is the center of every parable Jesus ever uttered. He is the father in the story of the prodigal son. And it's God who shows up in the Samaritan. It's God who comes to you in the ditch. It's God that forfeits his right to ride his own royal donkey in to a triumphant entry that ends in him being king. No, he's always been willing to give up the donkey to serve the hurting. He's always the one that gives up the throne to get to the street. It's God who shows up looking like a Samaritan who gets down and bandages this man's wound. He He is the EMT on the scene. He is the one that finds the project. He's the guy that gives up a night of sleep for a man he does not know so that he can show another person how to love a person he doesn't want in his inn. And then he says, let me tell you something. I'm not here for a good episode or a bad episode in your life. I'm here for all of your life. I'm going to walk with you when you don't want me to walk with you. I'll go with you to dark places. I'll give you breath to sin against me. And then I'll hear your breath when you cry out for my salvation. That's who shows up looking like a Samaritan. God. Because what this man needs to learn is if you love God, you got to want to look like him. If you love him in church, you got to want to look like him in the street. How many of you have ever worked in a restaurant? Come on. All right. What's the worst day of the week for tips? Sunday after church. We are legendary. We're the worst. I was a short order fry cook at Tasty Freeze. I was the guy behind the grill, you know, cooking up burgers. People would come back up, slam their burger down. This thing is overcooked. You paid 86 cents. I'm a high school student. I know chef, man. You don't like your burger. Let me give you your 86 cents back. I wanted it medium rare. What do I look like, man? You think I've been on top chef? I rode the city bus to get down here to slap a tomato on your burger. That's what I did. (laughs) We're demanding when we want to eat. So we eat the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. And then we walk into a restaurant and we are so famished in between breakfast and lunch that if they're a little later, the order is wrong. We fall out of order with God and we treat them as if we don't even know him. What if you thought of a restaurant like your other church? See, when I think about what it means for me to serve pastorally in our community, I include our restaurants. So I go to meet them and find out how their mother is doing. Were they able to make the payment? on their house or their apartment or their car? Did they find child care for their kid when the school was out for a snow day? I want to get there early so that I don't slide into a meeting and I don't have time to talk with them. 
I don't want to schedule it so tight that I, I can't stay around and make sure that we get an update and a hug. You see, I could eat anywhere. But I can't love those people well just anywhere. Right? Right? So who are, who are the pastors in this church? You follow what I'm asking? Who are the ministers in this church? Well, yeah, because one of our creeds is the priesthood of all believers. Right? We will even say, don't call him a pastor, he's a minister. I can prove that from the Greek. Right? Hey, I didn't grow up in this. I've been around us my whole adult life. I know how we think. So it's priesthood of all believers, right? So when you leave hood, priesthood of all believers, you guys are going to go out and pastor the community, right? How well are you going to do? Have you prepared for it? Have you trained yourself for it? Have you thought to yourself, well, you know, I'm not really in that good of a mood today. In fact, I've kind of had a bad attitude since I've been here so far this morning, but I'm thinking if I'm going to get ready and go pastor at a restaurant, I've really got to get this thing together, right? I'm going to have to start praying. Lord, you got to help me. I've got a nasty attitude and a snippy tongue this morning. I'm going to have to really get this together. Or I might not actually be who you want me to be when I get there with the person that you have waiting on me. Right? Well, I call my wife Velvet Titanium. She got a bit of a soft exterior, but don't let that fool you, Right? So we hadn't been in Atlanta very long. We moved from Indiana. I mean, a heavy day of traffic in Indiana is like, you know, an Amish wagon and a semi. You know, I mean, there's just nothing happening. <laughs> so we get to Atlanta, and I'm in road rage. We're driving along. You know, my knuckles are white. You know, no eye contact. I look like Mad Max, right, in Thunderdome. My wife looks over at me, and he sa- she says, uh, you know, it's a shame these people don't know how nice you can be. That all you got? Are you kidding me? But I thought to myself, McLaughlin, what in the world is going on? You say you believe this, but you act like you believe this. Well, our creeds do matter. Listen to what Jesus said. You'll see, you'll see this is familiar. Matthew twenty two thirty five. he said, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Does this sound familiar? Which is the greatest commandment of the law? Are you following us? Jesus replied, well, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And that second one is just like it. You love your neighbor as yourself, and all the law and prophets don't amount to a hill of beans if you don't get these first two right. Well, that's the Greek. And I've been around our churches long enough to know that this is our biggest wrestling match. For us to believe that there's something more important than the beliefs we hung our hat on. Here's the oldest uh, extent copy of the Apostles' Creed. That's a picture of it. This was the gospel tract. 
But as time went on, they increased the creed. They had to strengthen it because the question is, well, is Jesus really God? I mean, how can there be one God but have spirit and Jesus? So they worked on this, and they came up with another famous creed called the Nicene Creed. In fact, there's two versions of that one. That's one that a lot of you are familiar with. And then a third one, the Athanasian Creed, which really drilled down into who Jesus is with God, the divinity of Jesus Christ. And four times in the Athanasian Creed, it says, if you don't believe this stuff, you're going to hell. That was a pretty good gospel track. Here's what I noticed. And if you don't get anything else this morning, get this. Love is not mentioned even once in any of the creeds that shaped the trajectory of Christianity. It's not even mentioned. The word isn't even present I reached out to some of my church historian friends. I said, have you guys ever noticed this, that the word love is not in any of the ancient creeds? And one of them very benevolently said, well, you know, it's assumed God is creator and that's an act of love. And I get it, but we're not building our belief system of eternity on assumptions. We're building it on what we read. And let me illustrate this. From 1618 to 1648 was the 30 years war. It happened in Europe. I don't mind if you want to Google it right now. It is considered the worst religious conflict in world history. I want you to look through a few artist renditions of this war. This is a lithograph, and those are bodies hanging from that tree. Look at these next three paintings that people painted during the 30 years' war. What do you see? Well, here's what I want you to see. All of the enemy combatants quoted the same Christian creed. All of them. Eight million people were killed just in Europe. The reason they ended the war was it was just too costly to keep killing so many people. They quoted the creed on Sunday and went out and killed other creed-quoting believers Monday through Saturday, and they did it for 30 years. Because all they had to say was, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the Spirit, I believe in the church, I believe in forgiveness, I believe in all of that. But I don't actually believe that none of that mounts to a hill of beans if I don't love. What did Jesus say? Well, it's love first. What else did he say? If you don't do it, nothing else matters. They didn't believe him. Do we? Do we believe That nothing matters more than love. So I went through Scripture. And I'm going to put a creed on the screen. And you know what? Let's just do it like this. How about if you call out a Scripture that you think goes with this? So what about the first one? I believe God is love. Does anyone know a verse that says that? Yeah, 
who said it? First John 4, 7, and 8, right? What does it say? Yeah, pretty straightforward. God is love. Anyone know one for the second one? I believe God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Anyone get one there? Thank you very much. You do realize that's the, that's the test, right? So John three sixteen. How about uh, I believe that God loves me even when I'm powerless, ungodly, a sinner, and his enemy? Anybody know that one? Romans. There you go. Romans 5, 6 through 11. Very good. How about I believe that the first and greatest command is to love oh, God with all that I am. I hope you got that one because we just read it, right? Matthew chapter 25, right? Uh, I got to love my neighbor as myself. We just read that. How about I believe I must love my enemies? Who said that? Yeah, Jesus said that. Where did he say it? And what did he say? Yeah, and the funny thing he added was, if you don't, you're a pagan. He's kind of pointed like that sometimes. You don't have to know Greek to get that one. Look at this. I believe if I claim to love God but don't love others, I'm a liar and the truth is not in me. Where's that? Uh, That's 1 John also. Uh, Boy, that's a tough one there at the end. If I claim to love God but don't love others, I'm actually a liar and the truth is not in me. So I might have to say that every now and then. You know, I claim to love God this morning, but I know I just treated you terrible, so it makes me a liar and the truth isn't in me. So that kind of knocks all the wind out of it, doesn't it? Because how can I act like I'm superior to you and I have better beliefs if actually I'm a liar and I don't have truth in me in the way that I know that is I didn't love you? Boy, the Bible's something, isn't it? Look at this. I believe that when I see my brothers and sisters in need, I must help them with my material possessions or the love of God is not in me. Is that in the Bible? 1 John chapter 3. So real quickly, how many of you are for the Bible? Like you're like, yeah, we'll, we'll go with the Bible. Yep, we're going with the Bible, right? Back to the Bible. So we're going back to the Bible. Every one of these is right out of Scripture. So how many of you think, well, that's a pretty good list. So you understand, I'm not advocating to do away with the first gospel track. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Spirit. You understand, I'm not advocating to do away with that gospel track. I'm just following Jesus who said, put this one first or the second doesn't matter. You got to get this right or the other one's wrong. Even if your doctrine's right, if you don't get this right, it's wrong. And Jesus will tell you, Orthodox doctrine is not a negotiating tool for those that do not love. So let's try this together. Would you please stand together and we'll say this creed from Jesus together. You ready? We'll say it all together. I believe God is love. I believe God so loved the world that he gave his son I believe God loves me, powerless, ungodly, sinner, enemy. I believe that the first and greatest command is to love God with all that I am. I believe I am to love my neighbor as myself. I believe I must love my enemies. I believe if I claim to love God but do not love others, I'm a liar and the truth is not in me. I believe that when I see my brothers and sisters in need, I must help them with my material possessions or the love of God is not in me. Please be seated. Question. 
I wonder what the 30 years war, how long it would have lasted if they had to say this every Sunday morning. And they believed that if they didn't, nothing else matters. Because see, it's kind of tough to quote this and then walk out and kill your fellow creed-quoting believer. Because if you believe in order to be right with God, you've got to love your enemy, that's going to change what you think you should do when you encounter your enemy. And you know what it might do to you? It might teach you to start looking for God in Samaritans. You might look for him in different places. You might discover that never again can you easily, with comfort, classify people who are different than you as less than you or better. In fact, now you might be hunting for God in everyone. You might never again ever be able to encounter a Samaritan and not look for God. Because that's what his love does. It so upends the way that we think about God that it changes the way we think about each other. One Sunday morning... We were sitting in a Bible class. Our Bible classes are places of community. Everyone sits around tables of five. So every Sunday morning, you're sitting with a group of people. We discuss the Word of God together. I'm at a table. We're having this discussion. This Caucasian lady is looking at this African-American man, and she says... You really, really look familiar. He said, so do you. He knew who she was. She couldn't remember who he was. We kept on discussing. Finally, she says, don't I know you? He says, I think. And then all at once, it hit her. He had been her probation officer. And when she came to our church years later to get clean from her cocaine addiction, she met him at a table in Sunday school. For him, he was no longer seen a drug addict. For her, she was no longer seen a probation officer. Through the love of God, they had become what? family. Love does that to people. And love can do that for you. So what I'm going to ask you to consider this morning one last time is this. What do you believe? If you believe that without help you can't breathe underwater, I would ask you to believe that without love you can't be right with God. But if you were to turn that, it would suggest that with love, you 
could be right with God. So this morning, the way that we'll do that is uh, I think we're going to leave it to some conversations. You might have come with someone, something might have stirred in your heart today, and you might say, man, I need to talk about this. This is going to be tough. I've got some people that I consider as enemies. I, I have not loved them. I get it, but I don't know how to even get one foot in front of the other to do better at this. Then you might want to go to lunch and say, even before you order, i got to have a conversation about this. Some of you are thinking, I can't wait that long. I want to talk to someone right now because I've got to get moving on loving God and others the way God calls me to. Then the elders will be down front. There will be people that will pray with you around the auditorium. When we sing this next song, I'm just going to invite you to start that conversation. And just like that lawyer that met Jesus, you're going to come out on the other side loving first. We invite you to those conversations as we stand and sing.